Good morning. The scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 22. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Trailers to movies or, or back cover Summaries can be deceptive. I'm sure we've all had the experience of, of observing a trailer 
to a movie or reading the back of a, a book cover and saying, man, that looks good. I'd like to see that or, or I'd like to, to read that novel only to be underwhelmed when you get to the final, final product. We've all had those experiences, and so we, uh, we get jaded by, by trailers. But every once in a while, there is a trailer that we come across that actually uh, doesn't ju- do the actual movie justice. We, we're, we're amazed by the, the account and the story, and the trailer just didn't do it justice. In some ways, Exodus chapter 3 is the trailer or the back cover summary of the rest of Moses' life. If you are a big picture person and you don't like the details, in in this chapter, we get a 30,000-foot view of the rest of Moses' years upon the earth. But, but let me caution you from simply stopping at the 30,000-foot view. Because it is in the details that we really get to see the glory of God. I, I caution you not to get too enamored with the trailer. There is that saying, I'm sure you've heard, you, you don't want to miss the forest for the trees, right? The, the, the notion is you don't want to get so caught up in the details that you, that you miss the, the main emphasis. Yes, that is true. God has a grand forest, and, and that, that, that is truly a, a sight to behold, but, but please let me tell you that there are some mighty fine trees in this forest that, that would, deserves our greatest attention. But this morning, this morning, uh, we are going to look at the forest, but even though this is a quick snapshot of the rest of Moses' life, what happens in chapter 3 is a defining moment in in, in Moses' life. It defines the rest of his life. It's that one defining moment that would change the course and set the trajectory for the rest of his life. I met a man several years ago who was on the who 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 had become the youngest vice president at uh, Procter and Gamble. He was succeeding in his career, and there were aspirations for this man that he was going to one day rise even higher in the organization. He was an atheist. He was married but he wasn't faithful to his wife. On a business trip in Japan, he happened to be there when, the, when an earthquake hit. He was in fear of his life, away from his family, wasn't sure if he was ever going to live. His wife had gotten saved and had been witnessing to him over and over and over again and to, rejected all of the advances. But after that earthquake, He gave his life to Jesus, quit his job at Procter & Gamble, went to seminary, and is now a pastor today. 
He had a, an encounter, a moment in his life that changed the trajectory and the focus of his life. I, I hope you got a sense of that during Pastor Tony's message last week. At 80 years old, Moses' life was about to get turned upside down. It would be on Mount Horeb, or better known as Mount Sinai, that Moses would have his first encounter with the living God. And, and miraculously, through a burning bush that was not consumed, God would initiate a relationship with Moses and begin to reveal himself to him. Well, this morning, we pick up the account again. Moses is still on Mount Sinai, sandals off, and no doubt marveling at the fact that God is speaking to him through this unconsumed burning bush. God called Moses from the burning bush, and it would be on this mountain that he would reveal himself to him. Last week, we saw that Moses learned that God is highly exalted. He had to ascend up Mount Sinai to meet God. And he learned that God is highly exalted. We also learned that, that God is holy. That he is a consuming fire. So, so Moses had to remove his, his shoes and he couldn't get too close to the fire because God was revealing to him that he is holy and Moses is, is not. But God on Mount Sinai has a lot more to reveal to, to Moses. In fact, there are several more revelations that God will disclose to Moses on this mountain. And the first thing that we see is that God has a people. God has a people. Exodus 3 and verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. God tells Moses that he has a people. And his people are the same people Moses desired to free by trying to stir up a rebellion back in Egypt. We know how that ended up. God revealed to Moses that Moses' people were, were his people. That should not be overlooked. God declares who his people are. It's not a designation that people give to themselves. God chooses his people. And he chose the Hebrew people. That is what he tells us in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, Moses would go on to, to tell the people of Israel that, that God didn't choose them because they were the finest bunch. 
because, that, that, because there were many in, in number, but because he loved them. And children of Israel, the Hebrew people, languishing under the oppression of Pharaoh were God's treasured possession. Moses needed to, to know this because you do remember what had led Moses to, to strike down the Egyptian was that he had a care and a concern and a desire to free his people. You remember back in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11? One day when Moses had grown up, he went out where? To his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Moses acted because he saw the mistreatment of his people and felt like he had to do something about it. If, if, if anyone was going to save his people, it was going to have to be him. What Moses didn't realize at the time and what God would reveal to him on Mount Sinai was that long before the Hebrew people were Moses' people, they were God's people. <laughs> they were God's people. Soon as he took off his sandals on Mount Sinai, God says to Moses in Exodus 3 and 6, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God's care and concern for his people far outstretched the love and the care Moses had for them. God was revealing to Moses that he hadn't fallen slack on the job. He had not forgotten his people. Oh, what a common mistake we often make. We think God has forgotten his people, and we want to step in and save them, thinking, thinking we are their only hope. We think we care more about them than God does. Now, now don't get me wrong, our actions should show a love and a, and a care and a concern for our brothers and sisters. God indeed calls us to strive with them and to, and to walk with them and to help them, but never let us think that we are their Savior. Let us never think that our care and our concern outstretches God's care for them. They are his sons and daughters. And he knows what they are dealing with. He sees and, and he hears their, their struggles. Yes, 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 we, we care, but God cares even more. So much more. So much more that he acts. He acts. He assures Moses that he has heard and that he has seen the affliction of his people. And he reveals to Moses that he has a plan. A plan. Exodus 7, 
Exodus 3, 7 and 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. The text tells us that God sees and that he hears the affliction of his people, and it causes him to act. He has a plan. And what is this plan that God has? He comes down. Brothers and sisters, please do not miss that important statement by God Almighty. When his his people are in need of rescuing, when they are in distress, when they are in misery, God decided to come down. He, He decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands. He has come down to rescue his people. He, he is like, he is like the dad, like the, 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 the father, but to a much greater extent who hears the cry of his, his child, and it's, and it's that cry. You know, there, there's some cries that, that a child has that, that you kind of know. You can send somebody else to go and to check in and to see how they're doing, but when you hear that cry, there's a cry that you know that that you need to go, that you need to go and and show up. God heard the cry of his people, and he showed up. He came down. He came down. That, That is a significant revelation because that is essentially the story of the Bible. Brothers and sisters, God's people were in bondage to sin, entrenched in misery. We were lost. We so lost we couldn't even cry out, but, but God saw and, 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 and God knew. So God came down. This, this is an amazing truth. This is what separates Christianity from all other religions of the world. God came down. All the religions seek to reach God through works and and rituals, hoping and wondering if God will accept their attempts and relieve them of their mystery. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible cannot be reached no matter how high we climb. There is going to be any relationship with God, any relationship with God. He must come down. And he did. He did in the person of Jesus. He entered into the the, the sinful world in order to rescue his sin-captured people. We couldn't do it ourselves, so he came down. And aren't you glad that he did? The The hymn writer captures this joy. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross, the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. Oh, heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of the Bible. God's plan was to come down. He came down 
and met Moses on Mount Sinai to save and to rescue his people. But God's plan for his people also included a prophet. He included a prophet. Verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God was going to seek to rescue his people through, uh, through Moses. He was going to be God's mouthpiece both to the people, his people, and to Pharaoh. That is what a prophet is. They speak on behalf of God, and God was choosing Moses to, 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 to be his prophet before Pharaoh. Now, it is at this point that we begin to see the protest of, Mo- of Moses. Hearing that God wants to use him to rescue his people, Moses, Moses responds in verse 11 of chapter 3. But Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Which is the response of an 80-year-old humbled Moses versus the 40-year-old I'm ready to save the world Moses. This is the response of a man who recognizes his inadequacies. Remember, Moses had failed at his initial attempt to stir up this rebellion against the Egyptians with with his his people. He had failed. He was once the prince of Egypt, as we we had heard, but now he was a a shepherd. He was once a, a young man with no family, nothing to hold him back, and ready to lead a rebellion. But now he is an old man with a family and a flock to care for. Who am I seems like the question of a man who knew the weight of the task and knew that he could not fulfill it. He was not cut out for this task. Brothers and sisters, you do realize that God's calling is always bigger than the person he calls. Ask Jeremiah or Joshua or Gideon. Ask the disciples if their calling was bigger than them. Go, go take the gospel, take my message, be my witnesses in all of the world. This is how God works. He is about his glory and he is about his, his fame. And to keep men and women from, from stealing his glory, he calls his servants to missions larger than themselves. So, so that when it gets accomplished, they can say, like the angel said to Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I'm reminded of Peter and John at the gate beautiful when, when John uh, when Peter looks at the man who was lame sitting out the, outside the gate and says, in the name of Jesus, get up and, and walk. And the men and the women there begin to marvel. And, 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 and Peter, and they, they, they're looking at Peter and John like, who are these men? And, and Peter says, don't look at us. We didn't do this. This is the work of God him, himself. Um, Moses protested knowing he 
is not adequate for the task. And what does God do in response to his protests? Does he, does he change his plans? Does he say, thanks for your humility, Moses. That's okay, I'll choose somebody else. You see, when God told Moses that he was going to send him to Pharaoh, he wasn't asking for permission. (laughs) That was the plan. (laughs) That was the only plan. God's plan included Moses as his prophet and would also include four other aspects to his plan. First, his plan would include God's presence. God's presence, verse 12, he said to Moses in response to Moses' protestation, I I will be with you. I don't know if there is any more reassuring truth that God communicates to his people. I think it was R.C. Sproul who said, "How, how much confidence would you have if you went out evangelizing um, in the streets knowing that Jesus was walking right next to you? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, God's presence is a game changer. Yes, we accomplish significant things in the kingdom, but do understand it is God's presence with his servants that allows them to accomplish that which he calls them to. He told Joshua that he would be with him when Joshua was fearful, standing ready to go into the the promised land. Moses had had died. Joshua was nervous. How am I going to lead these people? And God told them that he was going to be with him. It was the word that he gave to, to Jeremiah as he was called to speak the word of the Lord to a rebellious people. I will be with you, Jeremiah. And it was the comfort Jesus spoke to his disciples before ascending into heaven. He said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. God assures and he comforts his people with his presence. Moses wasn't going to Pharaoh alone. God would be with him. God's plan included his presence, but it also included proof. Proof. Verse 12, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Serve God on this mountain. God's plan included a tangible sign for Moses. When, not if, But when, Moses, you bring the people out from Egypt, you all are going to worship together here on this mountain. This mountain on which you're standing. I'm going to bring you back here, and you and the children of Israel are going to worship me. The difficult days of the mission, Moses would would look back to his encounter on Mount Sinai, and then look forward to that day when he would return to that mountain again. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, in the sacraments, we have proof that God will accomplish what he has committed to accomplish. When we come to the table, we're looking forward to that day when we will come to the table on that last day, the great wedding feast of our Lord. God gave Moses proof that he would be with him. He gives us proof that he will be with us. God's plan included his presence, a proof, and a promise. Also included a promise. Verse 17. And I promise that I will be with you out of the, uh, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. God, God, God tells this to Moses multiple times during this encounter, saying that, that, that signifying, I should say, his importance. And please note, you do realize that this is not a new promise that God is making to Moses. It was the same promise he had made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. This is the land that was going to be the possession of his people. What a promise. No longer under the oppression of the Egyptians. No, no longer sojourners, but they would be in their own land. And what a wonderful promise. What, what's so wonderful about this promise is that it was coming out of the mouth of the covenant-keeping God who always, not sometimes, but always keeps his promises. Twice in the chapter, God says to Moses that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think that is important? Of course. God was proclaiming to Moses his, his, his faithfulness. He always keeps his promise. He is essentially saying to Moses, I am going to bring my people out of Egypt and take them to their own land, not simply because I'm making that promise to you, Moses, but because I made that promise to your father, Abraham. God always keeps his promise. He reminded that to Moses on Mount Sinai. God's plan included his presence, it included a proof, it included a, a promise, and lastly, it included a preview. <laughs> a preview. Verses, verses 16, 16 through 22 are a preview into what will happen when Moses returns to Egypt. God lays, God lays it out for him. He tells him, what to say to the elders of Israel. And despite his, his skepticism, God tells him that, that when he shares this information with them, they are going to listen to him. And then he is to go on to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he says, Pharaoh is going to resist. In fact, he is not going to be able, he's not going to grant you permission because he's going to need to be compelled by a mighty hand. And God tells Moses, don't worry about that part. I got that. 
I'm going to fulfill that. And then he says, the people aren't going to go out empty-handed. When, when they leave, tell them to ask the Egyptians for their gold jewelry, their silver jewelry. Ask them for clothing. You're going to plunder the Egyptians. And you're not going to have to compel them. They're going to, have to, they're going to want to do that willingly. This is amazing. Moses gets a preview of the mission. God tells him what is going to, to happen. From this unconsumed burning bush, God gives Moses this, this grand plan. It's a plan that has within it his presence, proof, promise, and preview. God capped it all off by revealing to Moses on Mount Sinai his proper name. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has, has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. This right here is the climax of the text. This is the, the climax of the text. Nothing else in this text has significance apart from this revelation. Moses wants to know who he shall say sent him when he goes before the Hebrew people. And God's response is, I am who I am. Tell them Yahweh sent you. God was proclaiming to Moses his godness. What is God's godness? What does God mean when he says, I am who I am? God was proclaiming to Moses that he was the self-existent God. The self-existent God. God has always been and always will be. He needs no one or no thing to exist. Amen. Psalm 90 and verse 2. Before the mountains were brought, brought, brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is self-existent. He doesn't need you, he doesn't need me to exist. He has always existed. That's what he means when he says, I, I am. But he also means that he is creator God. That he is creator God. Theologians declare and the Bible teaches that God created ex nihilo, out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the, the heavens and the earth. There is nothing that exists that has not been made. The self-existent God creates. He's creator God. Acts 17, 24 and 50, 24 reminds us of this. The God who made the world and all that's in it, 
since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. He has created all things, as the Bible declares. He is creator God. Then we can easily conclude that he is also the sovereign God. He reigns and he rules. There is not anything or anyone that is out of his control. God sits in the heavens and does as he pleases. And no one, no one can question his authority. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish my purpose. Nothing surprises God. Nothing surprises God. Nothing catches him off guard. The events this week in South Florida tragic and shocking as they are to us, are not so to God. He knew and he knows, but he hears. And here's the comforting part. He is present in South Florida now because he's the sovereign God. He's sovereign. If he's sovereign, then that means He is also sustainer God. Sustainer. God is overall and sustains all. Do you realize that God, if if God were to remove his sustaining hand from this world, that would be the end of us. God sustains all things. Paul declares this very fact in Acts 17 again, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Self-existent, creator, sovereign, sustainer. When God says to Moses, I am who I am, he is declaring these truths and a whole lot more. We're just scratching the surface of who God is. There is none like him. He was declaring to Moses his otherness. God revealed to Moses his proper name. It would be the name that the Jews thought too holy to say, choosing to say Adonai rather than Yahweh, have Yahweh utter from their lips because they recognize how holy and how other God was. When they ask you who sent you, Moses, tell them the only true and living God, Yahweh. Oh, there were other false gods in Egypt that the Egyptians worshipped, but God was going to, this God of the Bible was going to rescue the Hebrew people. He was their God, the only true and living God. He was the God who was speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. 
He was the God who, who came down to rescue his people. He, he was the God who was revealing to Moses his, his plan. When God told, told Moses that he was going to be with him, after Moses protested, God was comforting him with the revelation of, of Mo, to Moses. Moses, I am will be with you. I am will be with you when you go before Pharaoh. I'm sovereign. I'm creator God. I'm sustainer. When you go to Pharaoh, I am goes with you. Oh, you hear this and you can't help but exclaim like the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 and 33, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. This this is the God whom Moses encountered on Mount Sinai. As Moses is standing there before that burning bush that wasn't consumed, that was not burning up, hearing the, the plans and the purposes of God revealed to him, God's, God's character and nature being revealed to him, there was just one question for, for Moses to answer. Was he going to believe God? Was he going to, to trust him? Brothers and sisters, that is always the question. That is, that is the question for you and I this morning. You want, you want to figure out what does that have to do with you this morning, all these, these attributes, everything that we've talked about this morning, what does it have to do with, with you? The question for you is the same. Do you Believe the plans and the purposes of God. You trust him. You trust that he is with you. Do, do you believe that his promises are true? God, in his word, has given us a trailer to the script he has written. In the end, in the end, God wins. In the end, his people will be saved and brought into the promised land. His, his divine rescue plan works. Why does it work? Because God came down. Because God came down. The question is, do you believe him? Do you believe him? I pray this morning that you do. Trust in Jesus. His plans and his purposes are indeed good. Let's pray.